Act One, Part One of Dear Brutus by J. M. Barry. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Act One, Part One. Mr. Death, read by Nick Richmond. Alice Durth, read by Beth Thomas. Mr. Purdy, read by David Olson. Mrs. Mabel Purdy, read by Marion Carwin. Mr. Code, read by Todd. Mrs. Code, read by Bev Stevens. Mr. Lobb, read by Natalie Paula. Matty, read by Lambda. Joanna Trout, read by Libby Gone. Lady Caroline, read by Sarah Terry. Margaret, read by Tricia G. Narration and Stage Directions, read by Shakira Searle. Act One The scene is a darkened room, which the curtain reveals so stealthily that if there was a mouse on the stage, it is there still. Our object is to catch our two chief characters unawares. They are darkness and light. The room is so obscure as to be invisible, but at the back of the obscurity are French windows, through which is seen Lobb's garden, bathed in moonshine. The darkness and light, which this room and garden represent, are very still, but we should feel that it is only the pause in which old enemies regard each other, before they come to the grip. The moonshine stealing about among the flowers to give them their last instructions has left a smile upon them but it is a smile with a menace in it for the dwellers in darkness what we expect to see next is the moonshine slowly pushing the windows open so that it may whisper to a confederate in the house whose name is lob but though we may be sure that this was about to happen it does not happen. A stir among the dwellers in darkness prevents it. These unsuspecting ones are in the dining room, and as a communicating door opens, we hear them at play. Several tenebrious shades appear in the lighted doorway, and hesitate on the two steps that lead down into the unlit room. The fanciful among us may conceive a rustle at the same moment among the flowers. The engagement has begun, though not in the way we had intended. Go on, Cody, lead the way. Oh, dear, I don't see why I should go first. The nicest always goes first. It is a strange house if I am the nicest. It is a strange house. Don't close the door. I can't see where the switch is. Over here. They have been groping their way forward, blissfully unaware of how they shall be groping there again, more terribly, before the night is out. Someone finds a switch, and the room is illumined, with the effect that the garden seems to have drawn back a step, as if worsted in the first encounter. But it is only waiting. The apparently inoffensive chamber thus suddenly revealed is for a bachelor's home, creditably like a charming country-house drawing-room, 
and abounds in the little feminine touches that are so often best applied by the hand of man there is nothing in the room inimical to the ladies unless it be the cut flowers which are from the garden and possibly in collusion with it the fireplace may also be a little dubious it has been hacked out of a thick wall which may have been there when the other walls were not and is presumably the cavern where lob when alone sits chatting to himself among the blue smoke he is as much at home by this fire as any gnome that may be hiding among its shadows but he is less familiar with the rest of the room and when he sees it as for instance on his lonely way to bed he often stares long and hard at it before chuckling uncomfortably there are five ladies and one only of them is elderly the mrs code whom a voice in the darkness has already proclaimed the nicest she is the nicest though the voice was no good judge cody as she is familiarly called and as her husband also is called each having for many years been able to answer for the other is a rounded old lady with a beaming smile that has accompanied her from childhood if she lives to be a hundred she will pretend to the census man that she is only ninety-nine she has no other vice that has not been smoothed out of existence by her placid life and she has but one complaint against the male cody the rather odd one that he has long forgotten his first wife our mrs cody never knew the first one but it is she alone who sometimes looks at the portrait of her and preserves in their home certain mementos of her such as a lock of brown hair which the equally gentle male cody must have treasured once but has now forgotten the first wife had been slightly lame and in their brief married life he had carried solicitously a rest for her foot had got so accustomed to doing this that after a quarter of a century with our mrs cody he still finds footstools for her as if she were lame also she has ceased to pucker her face over this taking it as a kind little thoughtless attention and indeed with the years has developed a friendly limp of the other four ladies all young and physically fair two are married mrs dearth is tall of smouldering eye and fierce desires murky beasts lie in ambush in the labyrinths of her mind she is a white-faced gypsy with a husky voice most beautiful when she is sullen and therefore frequently at her best the other ladies when in conclave refer to her as the dearth mrs purdy is a safer companion for the toddling kind of man she is soft and pleading and would seek what she wants by laying her head on the loved one's shoulder while the dearth might attain it with a pistol a brighter spirit than either is joanna trout who when her affections are not engaged has a merry face and figure but can dismiss them both at the important moment which is at the word love then joanna quivers her sense of humour ceases to beat and the dullest man may go ahead there remains 
Lady Carolyn Laney of the Disdainful Poise. Lately, from the enormously select school where they are taught to pronounce their R's as W's, nothing else seems to be taught, but for matrimonial success, nothing else is necessary. Every woman who pronounces R as W will find a mate. It appeals to all that is chivalrous in man. An old-fashioned gallantry induces us to accept from each of these ladies her own estimate of herself. And fortunately, it is favourable in every case. This refers to their estimate of themselves up to the hour of ten, on the evening on which we first meet them. The estimate may have changed temporarily by the time we part from them on the following morning. What their mirrors say to each of them is a dear face, not classically perfect, but abounding in that changing charm which is the best type of English womanhood. Here is a woman who has seen and felt far more than her reticent nature readily betrays. She sometimes smiles, but behind that concession, controlling it in a manner hardly less than adorable, lurks the sigh-called knowledge. A strangely interesting face, mysterious, a line for her tombstone might be, if I had been a man, what adventures I could have had with her who lies here. Are these ladies, then, so very alike? They would all deny it, so we must take our own soundings. At this moment of their appearance in the drawing-room, at least, they are alike in having a common interest. No sooner has the dining-room door closed than purpose leaps to their eyes. Oddly enough, the men having been got rid of, the drama begins. Alice Durth, the darkest spirit, but the bravest. We must not waste a second. Our minds are made up, I think. Now is the time. Mrs. Code, at once delighted and appalled. Yes, now if at all. But should we? Certainly, and before the men come in. You don't think we should wait for the men? They are as much in it as we are. Lady Carolyn, unlucky, as her opening remark is without a single R. Lob would be with them. If the thing is to be done at all, it should be done now. Is it quite fair to Lob? After all, he is our host. Of course it isn't fair to him, but let's do it, Cody. Yes, let's do it. Mrs. Death is doing it. Alice, who is writing out a telegram. Of course I am. The men are not coming, are they? Joanna, reconnoitering. No, your husband is having another glass of port. I'm sure he is. One of you ring, please. The bold Joanna rings. Poor matey. <laughs> he witchly deserves what he is about to get. He's coming. Don't stand all huddled together like conspirators. It is what we are. 
swiftly they find seats and are sunk thereon like ladies waiting languidly for their lords when the doomed butler appears he is a man of brawn who could cast any one of them forth for a wager but we are about to connive at the triumph of mind over matter alice always at her best before the bright face of danger ah matey i wish this telegram sent matey a general favourite very good ma'am the village post office closed at eight but if your message is important it is and you are so clever matey that i am sure you can persuade them to oblige you matey taking the telegram i will see to it myself ma'am you can depend on its going there comes a little gasp from cody <gasps> which is the equivalent to dropping a stitch in needlework alice who is the dearth now thank you better read the telegram matey to be sure that you can make it out matey reads it to himself and he has never quite the same faith in woman again the dearth continues in a purring voice read it aloud matey oh ma'am alice without the purr aloud thus encouraged he reads the fatal missive to police station great company send officers first thing to-morrow morning to arrest matty butler for theft of rings yes that is quite right ma'am but seeing that she has taken up a book he turns to lady caroline my lady lady caroline whose voice strikes colder than the dearths should we not say how many wings yes put in the number of rings matey matey does not put in the number but he produces three rings from unostentatious parts of his person and returns them without noticeable dignity to their various owners matey hopeful that the incident is now closed may i tear up the telegram ma'am certainly not i always said that this man was the culprit i am never mistaken in faces and i see broad arrows all over yours matey he might reply that he sees w's all over hers but it is no moment for repartee it is deeply regretted alice darkly i am sure it is joanna who has seldom remained silent for so long we may as well tell him now that it is not our rings we are worrying about they have just been a means to an end matey the stir among the ladies shows that they have arrived at the more interesting point precisely in other words that telegram is sent unless matey's head rises unless you can tell us instantly what peculiarity it is that all we ladies have in common not only the ladies all the guests in this house 
we have been here a week and we find that when lob invited us he knew us all so little that we began to wonder why he had asked us and now from words he has let drop we know that we were invited because of something he thinks we have in common but he won't say what it is lady caroline drawing back a little from joanna one knows that no people could be more unlike joanna thankfully one does and we can't sleep at night matey for wondering what this something is joanna summing up but we are sure you know and if you don't tell us quod matey with growing uneasiness i don't know what you mean ladies oh yes you do you must admit that your master is a very strange person matey wriggling he is little odd ma'am that is why everyone calls him lob not mr lob he is so odd that it has gotten on my nerves that we have been invited here for some sort of horrid experiment matey shivers you look as if you thought so too oh no miss i he the words he would keep back elude him you shouldn't have come ladies you didn't ought to have come for the moment he is sorrier for them than for himself lady caroline shouldn't have come now my man what do you mean by that nothing my lady i i just mean why did you come if you are the kind he thinks the kind he thinks what kind does he think now we are getting at it matey guardedly i haven't a notion ma'am lady caroline whose w's must henceforth be supplied by the judicious reader then it is not necessarily our virtue that makes lob interested in us matey thoughtlessly no my lady oh no my lady this makes an unfavourable impression and yet you know he is rather lovable matey carried away he is ma'am he is the most lovable old devil i beg pardon ma'am you scarcely need to for in a way it is true i have seen him out there among his flowers petting them talking to them coaxing them till they simply had to grow alice making use perhaps of the wrong adjective it is certainly a divine garden they all look at the unblinking enemy mrs code not more deceived than the others how lovely it is in the moonlight roses roses all the way dreamily it is like a hat i once had when i was young lob is such an amazing gardener that i believe he could even grow hats lady caroline who will catch it for this 
he is a wonderful gardener but is that quite nice at his age what is his age man matey shuffling he won't tell my lady i think he is frightened that the police would step in if they know how old he is they do say in the village that they remember him seventy years ago looking just as he does today absurd yes ma'am but there are his razors <laughs> razors you won't know about razors my lady not being married as yet excuse me but a married lady can tell a man's age by the number of his razors a little scared if you saw his razors there is a little world of them from patterns of the present day back to the implements so horrible you can picture him with them in his hand scraping his way through the ages <laughs> you amuse one to an extent was he ever married matey too lightly he has quite forgotten my lady reflecting how long ago is it since merry england why do you ask in queen elizabeth's time wasn't it he says he is all that is left of merry england that little man mabel who has brothers lob i think there's a famous cricketer called lob wasn't there a lob in shakespeare no of course i'm thinking of robin goodfellow <laughs> the names are so alike robin goodfellow was puck mrs code with natural elation that is what was in my head lob was another name for puck well he is certainly rather like what puck might have grown into if he had forgotten to die and by the way i remember now he does call his flowers by the old elizabethan names he always calls a nightingale philomel miss if that is any help alice who is not omniscient none whatever tell me this did he specially ask you all for midsummer week they assent matey who might more judiciously have remained silent he would now what do you mean he always likes them to be here on midsummer night ma'am them whom them who have that in common what can it be i don't know lady caroline suddenly introspective i hope we are all nice women we don't know each other very well certain suspicions are reborn in various breasts does anything startling happen at those times i don't know why i believe this is midsummer eve yes miss it is the villagers know it they are all inside their houses tonight with the doors barred because of of him he frightens them there are stories
What alarms them? Tell us, or... She brandishes the telegram. I know nothing for certain, ma'am. I have never done it myself. He has wanted me to, but I wouldn't. Then what? Matey, with fine appeal. Oh, ma'am, don't ask me. Be merciful to me, ma'am. I am not bad naturally. It was just going into domestic service that did for me, the accident of being flung among bad companions. It's touch and go, how the poor turn out in this world. All depends on your taking the right or the wrong turning. Mrs. Code, the lenient. I dare say that is true. Matey, under this touch of sun. When I was young, ma'am, I was offered a clerkship in the city. If I had taken it, there wouldn't be a more honest man alive today. I would give the world to be able to begin over again. He means every word of it, though the flowers would here, if they dared, burst into ironical applause. It is very sad, Mrs. Durth. I am very sorry for him, but still. Matey his eyes turning to Lady Carolyn. What do you say, my lady? Lady Carolyn, briefly. As you ask me, I should certainly say jail. Matey, desperately. If you will say no more about this, ma'am, I will give you a tip that is worth it. Ah, now you are talking. Don't listen to him. Matey, lowering. You are the one that is hardest on me. Yes, I flatter myself I am. Matey, forgetting himself. You may take a wrong turning yourself, my lady. I? How dare you, man? But the flowers rather like him for this. It is possibly what gave them a certain idea. Joanna, near the keyhole of the dining-room door. The men are rising. Alice, hurriedly. Very well, matey, we agree. If the tip is good enough. You will regret this. I think not, my lady. It's this. I wouldn't go out tonight if he asks you. Go into the garden, if you like. The garden is all right. He really believes this. I wouldn't go further. Not tonight. But he never proposes to us to go farther. Why should he tonight? I don't know, ma'am. But don't any of you go. Devilishly. Except you, my lady. I should like you to go. Fellow! They consider this odd warning. Shall I? They nod, and she tears up the telegram. Matey, with a gulp. Thank you, ma'am. You should have sent that telegram off. You are sure you have told us all you know, Matey? 
Yes, miss. But at the door, he is more generous. Above all, ladies, I wouldn't go into the wood. The wood? Why, there's no wood within a dozen miles of here. No, ma'am, but all the same, I wouldn't go into it, ladies, not if I was you. With this cryptic warning, he leaves them, and any discussion of it is prevented by the arrival of their host. Lob is very small, and probably no one has ever looked so old except some newborn child. To such as watch him narrowly, as the ladies now do for the first time, he has the effect of seeming to be hollow, an attenuated piece of piping insufficiently inflated. One feels that if he were to strike against a solid object, he might rebound feebly from it, which would be less disconcerting if he did not obviously know this and carefully avoid the furniture. He is so light that the subject must not be mentioned in his presence, but it is possible that, were the ladies to combine, they could blow him out of a chair. He enters portentously, his hands behind his back, as if every bit of him, from his domed head to his little feet, were the physical expressions of the deep thoughts within him. Then suddenly he whirls round to make his guests jump. This amuses him vastly, and he regains his gravity with difficulty. He addresses Mrs. Code. Standing, dear lady, pray be seated. He finds a chair for her, and pulls it away as she is about to sit, or kindly pretends to do so, for he has had this quaint conceit every evening since she arrived. Mrs. Code, who loves children. You naughty! Lob, eagerly. It is quite a flirtation, isn't it? End of Act One, Part One.